0: When I survey the wondrous cross, do we do that? That uh, Isaac Watts hymn of old, that is what we're called to do. That is what our life is about, surveying the wondrous cross. You know, I've been preaching and teaching at this church for like 30 years. This is our 30th anniversary this summer coming up. We're going to make some kind of a deal out of it, you know, because the Lord has done this, you know, the Lord has done this. And, you know, I have never run out of material. I'm not bragging on that on my aspect. I'm saying the Bible is all we preach from. We don't preach from the newspaper and the magazines and what's happening in the political realm. Matter of fact, there's so much to bring out of this that we're only at the very beginning. These 30 years to eternity, what is it? We're just starting. There is no end to the glorious message of the cross. There's no end to it at all. And it's a very simple message. We proclaim a simple message, but it's very profound. It never gets old. The preaching of the cross, the death of the Lord Jesus Christ on that cross. It's the very heart and center of the gospel. It's at the heart of everything we believe. It is at that point that is called the priority. It is the priority of our lives. The cross. Deep priority. You can say, well... There are a lot of things I need to do in life, things I have to do, things I enjoy doing. But there is one priority, singular. And it's this cross. It's gazing at it. Intently. Surveying this wondrous cross. You know what? It's the most significant element in our lives. This cross. The most significant. If somebody were to ask you, what is the most significant thing in your life? What's the most important thing in your life? We have a lot of things that are important to us. And of course, we think of family. We think of church and jobs and all the things that we do. But boy, everything pales when it's compared to Christ on the cross. God forbid that I should glory in anything except... In the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. This is our text today, Galatians 6.14. We started on this last week, and uh, we continue this week. Why? Because it's the great theme of the Bible. When everything boils down to one most preeminent aspect is Christ. Christ and the cross, the preaching of the cross. And so that's why Paul says in verse 14, But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. I had to read that again. What was the message of the early days of the church? What was the message? What did they have? How did the church of Jesus Christ, how did it really begin? Well, we know that it's founded upon Jesus Christ and the apostles then took out what Christ had done and then they wrote and built, made the foundation of the church, as it says in Ephesians, that it's the very word of God that was revealed to them, and then they preached it. They didn't preach their own ideas, did they? They preached the Bible. They preached the Old Testament and they preached the the completeness of it in what is eventually going to become the New Testament to them. And Jesus taught them for three years. He prepared them to actually preach this message. They were His chosen ones, and they didn't know what was going on. But when the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they became new creatures, they had a new power that they'd never had before, and they started proclaiming this gospel, And 2,000 years later, folks, we hold in our hands and we have something in common and it's the preaching of the cross that the apostles had done, that Jesus had given. And we know that Paul does not say, God forbid that I should glory except in the Sermon on the Mount. That's a great sermon, isn't it? Everybody likes that Sermon on the Mount. Even unbelievers, they'll even quote from the Sermon on the Mount. How beautiful it is. And it is very words of Christ. But the Sermon on the Mount does not save you. The Sermon on the Mount is beautiful, but that is kingdom living and nobody can live that unless they be of Christ. God forbid that I should glory except in the ethical teachings of Jesus. Just believing in the teachings of Jesus. Mahatma Gandhi did that. But he couldn't become a Christian because he he looked at the Christians rather than Christ, and that stumped him up. Probably the cross stumped him up, really. The example of Christ, we glory in that. No, not the example of Jesus either, even though as good as that may be. It's the cross that we glory in. And we started this last week. That just sounds so strange. We glory in that, and that alone. That's really what this is about, being the Christian. The reason for preaching its about His death. The cross represents the violent death of Christ. Whenever somebody says the cross, and we're going to mention the cross so many times today, I don't know how many times the word the cross is going to come up today. We're not talking about two pieces of wood here. We're not talking about some kind of jewelry. But we're talking about the violent death that happened to Christ. That was, the blood atonement that was offered at Calvary. That's the shed blood of Christ covering our sin so that we would be brought near to God. That's what that one song, The Old Rugged Cross, is about. It's about the death of Christ. Well, we did one verse. So I'll tell you what, we'll try to bring that back next week and get the rest of the verses. That was my fault. So, anyway. (laughs) I know you wanted to keep on singing and my, my words weren't there. That was on me. But, the wrath of God was satisfied fully When Christ paid for that sin, they're at Calvary. That's propitiation, isn't it? It's theology, but it's theology that goes deep into the heart. He was satisfied with what His Son did. The plan from eternity to eternity. The plan of God. It's about Jesus dying for us, so when the cross is mentioned, that's what it's really about. That's the reason for preaching, isn't it? It's this. We will look at the very evidence of the cross, the center of this message, when we look at our Lord's own teaching. Jesus taught about the cross. And so let's turn to Matthew 16, verse 21 through 23. This is where Jesus is asking a question he's saying who do they say that I am? Caesarea Philippi is the location where they're at. A great confession is made here. And uh, of course, you know, he, he, who do they say they that I am? That I'm John the Baptist and uh, some people say oh, he's Elijah, some say Jeremiah, he's one of the prophets and Simon Peter says what? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And of course, Jesus says, this confession, this thought right there is the very foundation. Of course, Christ is, but it's all built on Him, but we know, confessing that He is the Christ, He is the Messiah, He is the Son of the living God and Peter is at his height when he makes that confession, and then he's at his depth of low whenever he tells Jesus that he doesn't have to suffer. And, you know, that's what happens uh, eventually here. Jesus reveals that he has to die, and Peter takes him aside, and he says, and he rebukes the Lord of all things, bringing him over to the side, and he said, Forbid it! God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. He turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you're not setting your mind on God's interest but man's. It was God's interest that He die on the cross and suffer. Peter didn't get it. (laughs) He doesn't get it until the Holy Spirit comes and empowers him to believe this. But that's a crucial matter. And so Jesus says it right there. You know, Suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Look in Matthew 20, verse 28. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give His life to die. A ransom for many. He's not paying that ransom to the devil. Don't give him that kind of credit. The ransom is to God, who is the just God, the holy God, who has to have that satisfied as it is in Isaiah. Thanks, I might need that. <laughs> I know I'll need it. The wrath of God was satisfied. Luke twenty-two nineteen and 20. Luke 22. What, what did Jesus preach? We know they preached the kingdom of God. He actually told them. How many times? He told them that He would have to suffer and die. When He had taken some bread and given it thanks, He broke it and gave to them, saying, This is My body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. This is My body. And in the same way, He took the cup and after they had eaten, saying, This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in My blood. But behold, The hand of the one betraying me is with mine on the table. For indeed the Son of Man is going as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. He's talking about his death there. He brings in the Lord's Supper. Teaching. And he's also really putting the heart of the Gospel there. That he has to suffer. That he has to die. Look in Acts 17... I go to Acts because we've been in Acts on our um, Wednesday night studies and, of course, all through Acts. This takes it up to close to where we've been. This is whenever he was in uh, Paul was in Athens. And in Acts 17, 2 and 3, this, uh, that's the chapter. Actually, he was in Thessalonica before that. According to Paul's custom, he went to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures. What did he reason? Explaining and giving evidence Scriptural evidence. Nothing else. Evidence from Scripture. That the Christ, that the Messiah, Mashiach, had to suffer and rise again from the dead and say, This Jesus who I'm proclaiming to you is the Messiah. There's no way around it. This has been planned. It has to be done. It's the only way that our sins can be paid for. Jesus preached this, didn't he? And then the apostles preached it. They preached what He preached. It's crucial. It's the central matter. It's simple. You can say, I've heard this a thousand times. Let it keep on sinking in. Amen. If the apostles didn't get it for three years walking around with Jesus, without the Holy Spirit, we wouldn't get it either. The Holy Spirit empowers us to do that. It's crucial. It's very central. Look in First Corinthians chapter 15. And that's the resurrection chapter. And I know what you're thinking. And we're going to get this in, in uh, a few minutes. You're going know, to so say, wait a minute, but you're not mentioning the resurrection. Because if we don't have a resurrection, then this is all useless. And that is true. But we'll give um, give some thought on that in, in, the, in a few moments. And by the way, the death and resurrection do go together. Don't ever split them. But in, in 15... Verse 1-3, through Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel. This is to those Corinthians. The Corinthianizers. The immoral people that they were at one time. The gospel which I preached to you, which also you received. Amen. In which also you stand. By which also you are saved. If you hold fast. The word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, because a worthless, it really wasn't, uh, it was a belief in vanity. It was empty. Their belief really wasn't true. Here we go. For I delivered to you, look at this, as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. It's so simple, isn't it? According to the Scriptures. It was always there. That He was buried and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And it mentions who He appeared to to make this legitimate. It wasn't a story just made up. But they're eyewitnesses. Over 500, right? Paul, an untimely apostle, witnessed the resurrection of Christ. That he saw the risen Lord. First importance. Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. He rose. Right? While you're in 1 Corinthians, look at chapter 11. Go back just a little bit. And of course, we're going to have the Lord's Supper today. So here, here's again. And I'll let a lot of this just flow in because our message here just, just builds up the Lord's Supper. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. The Lord said this, And it's Holy Scripture, and I'm delivering this also. That the Lord Jesus in the night in which He is betrayed took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is My body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me in the same way he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread, drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes.
1: Amen.
0: And that is the biggest facet when we take communion. We're proclaiming the death of the Lord Jesus Christ that takes away sin. It's beautiful, isn't it? The blood of the cross. The great theme. The cross sets us free. The world and the terrible mess it is in. Turn on the news at 5.30. Or turn it on all day and all they're going to do is bring you bad news all day. And of course it's bad news because it's a sinful world. Why wouldn't it? And yet at the same time, they have the audacity to say the world is going it's getting better. <laughs> it's horrendous, isn't it? It's a scary world if you didn't have Christ. If you lived in this world and didn't have Christ, all the things that are going on you know, of course the latest thing. The uh, what the Muslims are doing and you can you can call it Al Qaeda, which they did before and it's it's not called that now. What is it called? ISIS or the president likes to say ISIL. That's just one little facet. It expands, it goes much further. It's not even just the Islamic world. It is just... The world is just so totally messed up. We have been experiencing cold weather, but the rest of the United States has been experiencing much worse than us for the most part. Have you noticed that? Even down in Florida? Well, okay. What's What's the aspect behind that? All I can say is that it's surely not global warming, is it? <laughs> and nobody's saying anything now. I'm sure they'll be saying something about it. Well, that—that's global warming has caused cold. this coldness. I—I I know they're going to do that. Oh no, it's
1: a vortex. <laughs> it's a <polar> vortex.
0: <laughs> that's right. That's right. The scientific explanation of vortex and such. They have an explanation for everything, don't they? And you know they're so, so upside down. There's not too much that you can really believe that the world is offering us. It's just... I mean, if it has anything to do with where we came from and what's happening now and where we're going and such, they don't have the answer. We have the answer. I mean, it's right here. This, it's the heart. I mean, we are freed from this kind of world. Matter of fact, it's not the greatest tragedy. The cross is not the greatest tragedy that has ever happened. Matter of fact, it wasn't a tragedy. And it's not anything that we must imitate. And the, and the cross really is not something to be regretted. Well, we can see the evil men behind it and say, that is, that is the most sinfulness of man. I mean, that's of man to kill God. And we agree with that. But we don't regret this. We glory in it. That is so odd to say. We glory in our Savior's blood, in His violent death, and we take glory in that. That's what we brag about. That's what we praise about. You know, We are to proclaim the Gospel above everything else. That's really what it's about. It was the saving event. And it's the only way that salvation can be accomplished. There is no other way. If there had been another way, God would have done it. He came up with the perfect plan. Let's look at Acts 38 and 39. The great news, Therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through Him, through Christ, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. What great news! You can be forgiven. How guilty are you? Everybody is guilty. I'm telling you, forgiveness... Is proclaimed to you right now. Man, what kind of news is that? And through Him, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. We're freed. Set free, we're forgiven. It's accomplished. There. How does the cross save us? Have you ever really looked at the cross? You say, well, how can I? We don't have any videos of it. I've seen movies of it, seen pictures of where it might have been, you know, and teachings on it. Look at the three crosses on the hill of Calvary. And start zooming in with your eyes to that middle cross. Look at the person that is on there. Look at that middle cross. Look at the person who's dying there. Who is he? Who is this one that is on that cross? He's the Lord. He's the Son of God. He's the Messiah. That's Him. Are you looking at Him? Are you surveying this? Are you looking at Jesus Christ? Look at Matthew 16. This is the Son of God. And we we did this one in this chapter earlier. Verse... Thirteen. Jesus came into the the, uh, district of Caesarea Philippi. He was asking His disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Who is this on the cross? And we know it's an automatic, but think about it. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ. The Son of the living God. You are God. This is Jesus Christ in His humanity. We know that He is God. He is deity. I hate to say, and Sproul will jump all over me if I say this is God dying on the cross because God can't die. But yet Jesus is God. The human human aspect does die though. And so Sproul wouldn't get on to me if I redefined it that way. Is that okay? (laughs) But this is the living God. This is the living Jesus, the creator of the universe, right? The sustainer of life who gave life and yet He's going to die. That's an incredible thing. We'll get to that in a moment. He died deliberately. He had control to keep that from happening. Oh, we need to glory in aspect that He made it happen. That He didn't get off the cross like He could have. Had that happened, we wouldn't even be here. We wouldn't be sitting in this room talking about the cross, and we wouldn't be saved. We'd be lost in our sins, and we'd be going to hell. That He did this deliberately to pay the ransom on your life, my life. The Look at Hebrews chapter two, verse nine. We read that Matthew twenty twenty-eight, didn't we? Uh, what does it say in Hebrews? Oh, it's the, the golden thread is just woven all throughout the gospels, the epistles, all the letters, the old testament. It's there. It's there. It's plain as day, only if the Holy Spirit illumines our hearts to understand it. Otherwise, if he doesn't. This message is ridiculous. Two nine, But we do see Him. Do you see Him? Who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor so that by the grace of God, He might taste death for everyone. All of his people. He tasted that kind of death that we will never taste. We have been born again. We have new lives. The physical body, yes, will die. But we are now new creatures. Born again, you only die once. That's the physical body. If you're born twice, you die once. That he tasted it. Why did he do this? We were guilty. As a matter of fact, we were not only guilty, we were under the condemnation of the Holy God of the universe. Condemnation, folks. Condemned. And he came to deliver us from this world that is so wretched, that is so sinful. It is doomed to disaster. It is doomed to destruction. It will burn up. Why doesn't He just forgive His people and just do it that way? No cross, no suffering. Just to say, okay, these are mine. These are the people that I want and I forgive them. That's the way we would have done it. But it can't happen that way. We're not God. He is God. And he has to have sin punished. Punished violently. God is just. God is holy. God is righteous. And the least little bit of sin offends his holiness. And he cannot let just a little bit of sin come into His kingdom for eternity. And so it had to be done this way. He is holy. Before we came to Christ, we were evil. We were wicked. We were vile. We were sinful creatures. And People don't look at it that way. We don't know how sinful we really were. Even if we just were a little bitty infant, We were already born that way, that nature. People cannot realize that. They must understand how depraved man is. God must punish sin. He has a holy nature and it demands this. Man is sinful and God is holy. And this is where things are brought together. The cross. Our sin, His holiness, and they meet at the cross. That's the only place they can meet and be done John the Baptist said behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world we live in this world but he's taken our sin away why has he come well he made a plan God is the organizer of the grandest plan that has ever been made in this universe. He's the organizer of this plan, of this story of the cross, of this gospel. And not only was He the organizer, but He's the supervisor of it. Do you get it? This plan, whenever Christ came on this earth and walked it, And then when it came to the time that He was going to die and resurrect, not only was it all planned out, God made sure that every little detail was taken care of when that happened. His plans don't go awry. There's not one little bitty point that He missed or didn't think of touched base on every one of them. Every detail worked out as he had planned. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. The grand supreme plan. He is the preeminent one, isn't he? This Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5:21. He made him who knew no sin To be sin on our behalf that's substitution so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Still story, we we all know this story. It doesn't get old. It, it becomes more fresh than ever before. It becomes new. It should enlighten us. I mean, we should be jumping out of our shoes.
1: <laughs> oh,
0: if we really, the more that we think about this, he just keeps showing us more. Isaiah chapter three, 53, verse 6. Oh, boy, Isaiah really gives it here 700 years before Christ. This is the suffering servant, verse 6. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. There's the depravity. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on Him. The all are the chosen ones. The all are the elect. The all is not on every man, woman, and child that's ever been born, because if that be the case, that means the iniquity was also put on him of theirs and it was already paid for and they're okay. And that's not true. But it is the ones of him. And the iniquity of us fell on Christ. First Peter 2.24 Yes, Peter hung around Christ those three years. Hated to see him go... I'll tell you what, because Christ left, the Holy Spirit was sent. Peter was able to understand things and write things that he had never known before. And he himself, this is the one who said, Oh no, Lord, you don't have to die. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin. You you died at the cross. Your sin died there. And live to righteousness. For by His wounds, you were healed. We were like sheep. But He's the shepherd. He's the guardian of our souls. Look what He did. Boy, incredible. Peter wrote that. Now, because of that, there are only two positions for all the people of the world throughout all of history. There's only two positions concerning the cross that can be taken. And there is nothing in between and nothing else. There are two positions. Um, There is a classic book by Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote a book about the cross. This one verse, this Second Corinthians or uh, not Second not Corinthians, I'm sorry, that's where we're at here, but the Galatians 6.14 and he really expanded on that book. And then there was another classic about the cross of Christ and it was John Stott. So I'm really giving you a lot of stuff that's kind of based out of those books which is really nothing new stuff. It's all based out of Scripture. But the thoughts that they have, I, I just hope that I can just kind of share those with you guys as we go through this. Because I wanted to get some enlightening thoughts. I'd read those books from way back when, but I'm telling you, they are classics and very helpful. There's so many books written on that. But um, he says this. Is Paul doesn't really say that he preaches the cross and that he believes in it. I mean, yes, that's that's... That's true. But he says, God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The cross is either an offense or it's glory for you. It either offends people or it is the very most important thing in their life. One or the other. Nothing in between. Like I say, there is there's messages going around today in the in the, the the quote I say quote church has a crossless Christ or a Christless cross. But there's only two positions. The first one is an offense to the natural man. It offends any person who's really not a Christian. It offends them highly. Galatians 5.11, Paul has already kind of written a bit this. uh... But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, the Judaizers, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. The stumbling block of the cross the Judaizers, they taught that Jesus died on the cross. They, they taught that He resurrected. We'll say, Well, they were right on them, weren't they? They were hitting, hitting on the Gospel. Sounds right. Sounds good. A lot of people use terminology and call themselves a church. But they added to the cross. They added all this other stuff. That's where we've been in Galatians all along. That's why Paul is hitting this vehemently. The stumbling block of the cross it was. It was a stumbling block. First Corinthians chapter one, verse twenty-three. They didn't say that Jesus didn't die, but you know, they they said he died on the cross. But you know, it's dealing with sins, but it wasn't enough. They have to add all these other things to this, and so it's not the cross. What were they? Boasting in, they were boasting in what they could do. Plus Christ. What do I have? Do I have First Corinthians one twenty-three? Well, you're not looking at my Bible because I had Second Corinthians one twenty-three. Okay, <laughs> okay, I'll go back to First Corinthians because that's really where I need to be. You're, you're okay where you're at. But we preach Christ crucified, and here we go to Jews a summon block. And the Gentiles,
1: foolishness.
0: That covers everybody. Christians either see it as their glory or everybody else sees it as a summing block of foolishness. It was an offense in the very early days. It was such an offense to kill Christ. It was such an offense that they killed the apostles. They killed. A lot of the uh, early church, there were martyrs all the way in the first century, the second century, and right on through up to our century today. We prayed this morning. Uh, this church prayed about this worship service. Uh, this is why we're having a very good worship today. I think our prayers for this, and if you, if you can't pray on Sunday morning, pray at home. Uh, pray the night before. Let's all make a pact. Let's pray on Saturday night that this place here would be powerful and that it would start attracting people and each one of us to prayer and Power and recognizing that we need Him. Um, I want to tell you that this is where it comes down to. We have the power of the Gospel. The power of prayer. And it offends the natural man. It offends anybody. Natural man hates the mention of blood. The natural man can talk about morals. The natural man can talk about virtue. The natural man can talk about really good things. Living a good life. The natural man can talk about those things. And yet, you see how most natural men die? Some of the considered to be the greatest men on earth, you start looking at how they died as atheists with no hope. We've talked about that before. People talk about improving the world and making it a better place. Oh, it's so nice. You'll hear athletes, I just want to perform and do my best because it can make this world a little bit better. People will enjoy that. Well, there's a little bit tragedy, having a little bit of joy. What does it have to do with eternity, though? Actors say, "I want to make this world a better place." And they get Oscars for some. Of these, some of these movies are the. The worst as far as language, as sexual content. I'm telling you, the world, if it doesn't have Christ, what's it going to do? It's going to go further and further. They're getting away with things they would never have shown before the human eye 50 years ago, 40 years ago, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, 5 years ago. It's getting worse and worse and worse and worse. It's an offense though. The cross is. What they do is just fantastic. People give them all the glory. But if you were to mention about the blood of Christ right there in the same uh, setting, people would really just, yeah, just get away. Who are you to say that? Well, it's a stumbling block, it's an offense. The blood and the thunder element. Natural man hates the blood. Matter of fact, the natural man hates the Old Testament. Mount Sinai. They hate that God of the Old Testament who judges. They don't like that. They like the sweet, loving Jesus. The offense is to the mind. It was a stumbling block to the Jews. They were expecting the Messiah. The Messiah was going to come, and yes, they had that correct, and they looked for Him. And He would come with a great military presence. He would have the armies, they would go and destroy the Roman armies, take over Rome, move the capital city to Jerusalem, and set up shop there, and they'd be the greatest people in the world. That's what the average Jew had in mind. It totally cut against their ideas. This is nonsense for a Messiah to come and die on the cross. World's thinking, I can understand why they would say that. Because we're looking for some kind of savior here in the world to keep us from what is happening. People are looking for a better president than the worst president that we've ever had in this nation. They're looking for, they're looking for something. They're looking for congressmen that will represent the good old days. And granted, it would be nice. It could happen. And it could change for four years and then change back. You know, uh, we have we have no hope ultimately, ultimately, eternally, in, in the whole political realm. I definitely am conservative and I will vote for the one who represents what we believe best based on the Christian values. But um, it cuts against the ideas this cross does. Men are not saved because of philosophy, because of politics. Men are not saved because of the thinking. The world wants all the some kind of great thinker, some kind of great man to come in and take over. Well, very well that happened, couldn't it? The cross offends man's mind. Man bearing the punishment for somebody else some innocent man bearing punishment for somebody who deserves the worst. And they're saying it's ridiculous. They can't believe the idea that a father would punish his own son. And that's why we call the uh, atoning sacrifice that it is punishment. It's actual punishment. It's judicial punishment punishment. It's called the penal substitutionary atonement, which all the reformers taught and any biblical people down through the ages, but the penal substitution is being taken out of the cross today by churches that are even conservative. They don't like the aspect of the penal substitutionary atonement. So, the atonement in its truth is being stripped. That's the cross. The essence of the doctrine is substitution. It takes our place. People will say, no, He didn't. That set an example for us. That we can live that kind of life too. What? Substitution. We, we've seen it all over. We saw the Scriptures, didn't we? He died for us. The great exchange. He takes our sin. He puts the righteousness of Christ on us. It's an offense to the heart. It's an offense to the pride of man. Um, man doesn't want to hear that he was born in sin. Now, they can say, yeah, yeah, we sin, but it, it's, it's, it's later when we start to choose evil things. And that's, you know, that we're bad when we've murdered somebody. Or stolen, you know, we're thieves. Man doesn't want to hear the fact that we were born in our sin. Man can not admit that. He's a failure, can he? The Christian takes the other position. We saw their position. The Christian takes the other position. And here it is. The Christian glories in the cross. He glories in it. He basks in it. He glories in the cross. Matter of fact, he doesn't just admire the cross and simply seeing it as a beautiful thing, and it is. Oh, it's so beautiful. What, the cross? It's beautiful. It's marvelous. The Christian not only believes in the cross, though, he glories in it. Not only admires it as he see, but he glories in it. Have you thought about glorying in the cross? As we are in this text, in this Galatians 6, it is Eye-opening, isn't it? We glory in the cross. We rejoice in it. And, And there's nothing else that we glory in. Nothing else. This is it. Except the cross of Christ. That's what Paul says. Wow. That means to boast in it. It means to praise. It means to be captivated by it. It means to be moved by it. That's the idea of glorying in the cross. You know, we have things we, you know, tend to take, um, you know, glory in. There are things that, uh, you know, some events that we happen to take in that are kind of important events in our lives. And that's okay. Celebrate them. Have fun with it. But you know what? This is what we glory in right here. He glories in the cross alone. I want to tell you the most important event and people like to go around discussing what's the most important person who's the most important actor who's, the, most, who's the, the best musician who's the best writer of books who's the best this best that they do it in the Christian realm and I really don't like it because how can you say something that somebody was talented with this and then God gave somebody else a talent with this say that the best the best of this sometimes you like to like, this may be one of the best books written on this particular doctrine but, you know, at the same time, we don't all, always know that, and it really doesn't matter. But this is one thing we can say absolutely for sure. The most important event ever in the history of mankind, the chiefest thing in the universe, is glorying in the cross alone people are looking for they're looking for some answer. What is it? Where can I go to get something satisfied? I know there's something there and I'm missing it. And here it is. This is it. Say this is too simple. Yeah, it is. And it's profound, isn't it? Okay, what about the resurrection? I said I was going to get to that. The death, the burial, the resurrection, that's all part of the Gospel. Matter of fact, I want to tell you, God Himself is the Gospel. The whole story of the universe, all about God, that's the Gospel. That's good news, isn't it? But this heart is right here. Okay, you say, well, what about the resurrection? You're not mentioning that. You know, I mean, on, on Easter, you know, you know, Resurrection Day, we, we preach resurrection. That's right. We preach it. This is celebrating resurrection on Sunday, the first day of the week. That's why the church met. John Calvin might help us on this. What about the resurrection? Let's go to John Calvin on this. I was looking at Luther and Calvin. Calvin, I think, had something that helped me out. Though salvation is held out to us in the cross, what does Paul think of the resurrection? And Calvin says, I answer, in the cross, redemption in all its parts is found. In the cross, that's where you find redemption. In all of its parts, that's where you find redemption at the cross. And then he goes on to say this, but the resurrection of Christ does not lead us away from the cross. And then he says, every other kind of glory is rejected by God. As nothing short of a capital offense. If we glory in anything else but the cross, it's a capital offense. I like that wording. But what about the resurrection? It's tied right in with the death. And if he doesn't die, then there's no resurrection. But there's, you know, he has to resurrect. I mean, if he just died and that was it, then we have no hope. This is useless. So they do, and so we don't really separate them, do we? This is where we see the redemption. We see the justification in the resurrection, as Romans points out. Okay, let's survey this. We sing the song. We're going to sing it again after this to prepare our hearts for our Lord's Supper today. We're going to survey the glories of what this cross looks like. (coughs) What do we see at the cross? What do we see? Why does a Christian glory in the cross? What do you mean, glory in the cross? Paul, what are you saying? What do you see? You look towards that cross, you survey it. We survey, we look, we gaze intently. Don't just take a, a glance. Bob, you said that earlier, I like that. We don't take a glance, but we really concentrate on it. Stick our eyes on it and survey it. This is a good test of where you're at in your Christian walk. How much time do you think about the cross? Dennis, how much time do you think about the cross? How much time do you really gaze and survey that wondrous cross? And there are all sorts of angles. <laughs> One angle we can start with, I didn't even put it on the outline, but it starts with my sin. I see my sin on the cross. When I look at the cross, I see the enormity of my sin. I, I see the depravity of me. I see my sin there. But let's go on further. Let's go to something much more glorious. It's the most amazing spectacle the world has ever seen. Spectacle such as shows. Oh, we're so much into shows. Laser light shows—the best light show event that ever could be—with the great sounds and everything. I, I love that kind of thing. I've been at concerts, and man, you see one, and the, you know, two years later, man, they come on. They, they've gotten more money, and they've really invested, and they get greater lights. I'm glad they do because it's really enjoyable. It's fun. And you go, wow, this is really great. You go, wow, you should have seen their lights. Sound was just great. And the next year, it's even better. And they just get you know, all the way. I mean, they just keep putting more and more out there. And it's just fantastic. I love it. But you know what? <laughs> After it's all said and done two or three days later, oh, yeah, that's really neat. Yeah, really cool light show. Now. What is it to eternity? The grandest light show and sound is just going to be something that it just makes us forget of what is here. Uh, I'm telling you when we survey the cross and gaze intently at this I mean this is a spectacle. It's much better than the 4th of July at the Capitol with all the amazing fireworks it just gets better every year and you go how do they do that (laughs) exploding into colors you've never seen before up in the sky and and then it's done, and a hundred thousand dollars have been blown up in a matter of uh, 20 minutes. <laughs> I enjoy those. It's fun, but it's done. <laughs> it's not eternal. This is by far anything I mean, anything that man has ever came up with, this cross, which most people see as an offense, is the most spectacular thing this world has ever had. Paul sees the glory of God revealed to him at the cross. Isaac Watts speaks of paradoxes in that great hymn. The immortal. The immortal one, Jesus Christ, he's immortal, right? He's God. The Prince of Life. He says the Prince of Glory. The Prince of Life. But yet at the same time, the one who is life, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And He's the one dying on the cross. What's that? That's a paradox. He, he is the sustainer of life, yet He dies. The Prince of life is killed. What a mystery. We know He resurrects. Love and sorrow. Do you see those two words in that song? Love and sorrow. Crowns and thorns. Students of drama, music, arts. Have you ever seen such a thing? Love and sorrow meeting together. Flowing down. There's no greater spectacle. Crowns and thorns. (laughs) Opposites. The glory and the splinter and sparkle of a crown. And then we're talking about a crown of thorns. Thorns, you you throw them in the fire. You burn them. You take them over there on the, the, the trash heap over there on the south end of town. and. Southwest, whatever. And you get rid of those. You cast them away out of sight. But here they come together at the cross. The crown of life and the crown of thorns coming together at the cross. Love and sorrow flow mingled down. Composed so rich, a crown. He is innocent. He's pure. He's clean. He's perfect. Here's the sinless one. That's another thing. He's dying for the rebels and his enemies. The Lord of glory dying in apparent weakness. Apparently, it's, it seems hopeless when He's there on the cross. seems hopeless if you look there and you take the Romo, uh, Roman um, Gre- uh, Greco world view, uh, you take the Jewish view, that's, that's just a horrible sight. He is a weak man, helpless. He put aside His own glory for the glory of the Father. Do you see the beauty in that? What about the attributes of God? Oh my, you want to start concentrating on looking at Christ? Okay, think about His goodness. What kind of goodness is this? What kind of kindness is this? Loving kindness that He's on the cross for us. That's an attribute of God, isn't it? How about pure? The purity of Christ. The holiness of Him, right? Uh, Wisdom. The wisdom of God and His plan from the foundations of the earth. Before the foundation of the world, He came up with this. What a wisdom that no man could have done. We see His omnipotence there at the cross. He has the power to get off, but He has so much power that keeps Him on there. The grace, we we cannot forget to mention that. God is a gracious God, right? Right? can you think of a better place to show grace? Matter of fact, the cross shows His attributes better than any other place or any other thing in the world or in the Bible. The cross shows His grace in a way. Grace means we're getting something we don't deserve. And then that flips us over to mercy because He is getting something He doesn't deserve. And we're actually not getting what we deserve. In mercy, mercy and grace go together. His holiness is seen there at the cross. His justice is seen because the wrath of God is taken out, uh, uh, takes it onto the sin, punishes it. Righteousness is there. Think of those attributes and put them there at the cross and they are magnified like no other place. And finally, we see the love that made Him do it all. When you look at the cross, you see the love of Christ. Isaac Watts talks about that love so amazing, so divine. Above everything else is the love that motivated Him. And while He's there, as He hung there on the cross, Saul of Tarsus was hating him. Saul of Tarsus was persecuting his church. He was a blasphemer. And Christ was on the cross dying for that man. And while we're thinking about it, he was doing it for us too. Do you see the spectacle of the ages? This is the theater where everything should be attention to. The author of life dying that I might live. If we just see a glimmer there, we glory in it. It's just a little glimmer. Don't you want that glimmer to come up a little bit more? And a little bit more? A little bit more? We want it to be blazing glory. I'm telling you. Love so amazing, so divine. I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Romans five six through ten don't have the time to go there, but it's a total allegiance. And I live for Him. He died for me, right? So simple, but it's allegiance to that. God transcends the ages. We die to the world, and that's what He says in the Galatians six, through which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. Positional statement: The world is crucified to me i 'm dead to the religion of human achievement, as the Judaizers had offered i 'm a dead i 'm dead to all the affections and the lusts that the world always offered to me before, and I succumb to it it 's a historical fact that happened to you positionally. you were crucified with Christ, the world died all of my old life died sin became a dead issue. It's done away with. The world became a dead issue. And I unto the world. He adds this. There's the practical side. Not only do we have a positional miracle that takes place, but practically, folks, I don't have that interest in the world that I once did. I don't have that attention that I used to focus on things that now don't even mount to a hill of beans. It doesn't really matter. I don't have any need of that anymore. I lost all that taste of some of those things. Can you guys identify with that? There are things now that you do not even even want to think about. The things the world offers me doesn't any longer have power over me. The power has been broken. Do we still sin? Yeah. And sometimes we are succumbed by the world and then we hate it. Then we repent. But really, if you're a Christian, it doesn't have that same appeal or luster or beauty that it once had. You can say, hmm, I don't really need that. It may not necessarily be sin in itself. But it's not the most important thing. You say, well, does that mean you can't do anything? that The world has out there I are mean, no, things that we can enjoy. You know, God uses people uh, that are unbelievers to help us out. And whether it be doctors, and lawyers, and all the professional people and, and businesses, and you know certain you know products and stuff like that. That's, that's that's good. You know that that helps us out. You know, get through this life. And we're thankful for that. But we're talking about the the world system. And all the things that used to just tickle our fancy and take our interest that we used to glory in,
1: we don't
0: need that anymore. That's not my glory. That's not where I am at anymore. Paul really worked hard with the flesh before he was a Christian. He did everything a Jew could do, and it really didn't do him a bit of good, did it? In fact, it made him worse. Every possible spiritual Activity there was, he did it. He was a part of it and he found it worthless. He no longer had that passion for the old things. The passion was gone. I'm dead to the world. The world is dead to me. The bondage to the world is broken, folks. Broken. The overpowering lure of the world is broken. Oh, I don't need to go there. The old you is dead. This is how you become cross-centered. You keep looking at the cross. Paul said, I will not boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The world is no longer my treasure The world is no longer the source of my life and my enjoyment and my satisfaction and my joy. I don't get any satisfaction and joy out of the world. I get my satisfaction out of Christ and Him crucified. That is where it's at. I glory in the cross. And now we're going to turn our attention to surveying the wondrous cross. If you can turn to hymn number 99, Let's take what we have just seen in the Word of God and see how Isaac Watts applied this in a song that we still sing about over 300 years later. When I surly the Lord.